There's a, an expression or a, a phrase that you sometimes hear when you're watching a sports on TV and you hear the commentators talking and they say something like, you make your own luck. You ever heard them say that? You know, basically it means that uh, this is a player or a team who's done the, what they're supposed to do. You know, they practice hard, they're executing their game plan and things happen for them in the middle of the game that just seem like they're lucky. You know, the idea is that if you do the things you're supposed to and you work hard, that things happen for you and you're in a right place at the right time. Well, as we close out our study of the book of Ruth today, we're in chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. We see some things come together in the whole story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and this situation that they're in. It all comes together and it closes out in a way that you might be prone to say, hey, they're lucky. Or you might take a step back and say, well, they've made their own luck. But of course, we know what? That there is no such thing as luck, right? That God is at work in all things. Yet that idea that if you do what is right, that if you stay focused, good things do happen. Not all the time, don't hear me saying that, and not without pain and sacrifice, not without risk, but good things can happen, good things do happen. There are often happy endings, and in fact, the Bible would say that even the best and happiest of endings we experience is always pointing to an even happier ending to come. And we see that pointed to in our passage today. And in fact, as we await that happier ending that we long for and know is coming, if we understand, if we look at what the Lord says to us in His Word, we can face the challenges and adversity that beset us in this life, things that come our way, and we can persevere, and we can carry on with hope, even in the most challenging of times knowing that we, we might experience a happy ending now and there is always going to be, for those who look to the Lord, a happier ending. You see that here in Ruth. You see it with Boaz. You see it in your life. Listen to what the Lord says. Here in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, this is God's Word. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. <clears throat> so he said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here, and so they sat down. And then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. 
For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I've acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the court, or may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrata and become famous. In Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, though the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. This is God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. Meet us here, we pray, that it might be more than ink on paper, more than pixels on a screen, more than sound waves hitting our eardrum, Lord. May your word transform us, change us to be more like Jesus, to be more of who you want us to be. But we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Like the best of stories, uh, great drama and literature that you read, you know, the, the, uh, the stories of Jane Austen, which I try to read and I can't ever get through them, but I've seen the movies. Uh, they're good stories. And, and uh, I think of Pride and Prejudice, which is multiple hours long, and I do watch it, and I think it just, it's one of those stories that you, it just wraps everything up so well. You know, and that's, that. 
That's a wonderful thing to experience, that resolution, right? And as we wrap up the book of Ruth, it's just amazing to me how the Lord wraps everything up so well. It comes together for Naomi, for Ruth, and for Boaz. And you can't help as a believer in the Lord to, to read through this and to see the Lord is at work. That we see that in what happens throughout the story. You know, things happen to happen. Uh, Ruth happened to go work in the field of Boaz in chapter 2. And he happened to be a close relative of the family who happened to also be just a very generous man of strong character. And then Boaz here, uh, after Ruth approaches him and he's open to her uh, encouragement to marry, he then says, I'll take care of it. And so he goes, and we're not sure of the timing it seems to happen pretty soon afterward, perhaps the next morning. He goes to the gate of the city where legal business would be conducted, where the elders would be gathered together and they would make formal decisions about things when necessary. And so he goes to the gate of the city and he's hanging out there and the close relative happens to come by and things just work out well. He interacts with the relative as we just read and he ends up with Ruth. Boaz ends up with Ruth and more. And on top of that, the story ends with this promise of even greater things to come. As the people ask the Lord's blessing to provide children to this couple, they, the Lord answers, Ruth has a baby. Naomi has an heir. Boaz has a wife. Israel has a great-grandfather to King David. And the world is another step closer to the coming of Jesus as this child's great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandson, in his human descent. I mean, could you ask for much better results? No offense to Jane Austen, but wow, this really comes together. In fact, I think that's why good fiction and good stories resonate with us, because God is at work bringing together a story beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And he always brings it together so well. And so as we read this, as we wrap up the story, the question I have is, well, how, how can we come closer individually, as a church, as a people, to getting these kind of results of having a happy ending? at least even moving a little closer to that, if not having things work out so, so well. Well, I mean, obviously the answer is it's, it's not luck. It's the Lord. That the Lord is at work, and the only way is for the Lord to be working in you and to be working through you. The only way you get these kind of results is to, be, to take a specific approach to life. And that's what I want to unpack for us today from this text, that to get those results, something even approaching this, to get to a place where we can persevere through the challenges of life and maybe even see some happy endings and have a, a certain hope for an even happier ending to come, is to first of all, do things the right way. That to have any hope of that coming about, we have to do things the right way. And that has to do, as you might expect, if you hear a preacher say that, of, of 
keeping some form of the letter of the law. We have to at least know the letter of the law, and Boaz seems to know that. You know, he goes through the right procedure. He knows his obligations as not the next in line as the kinsman, as the redeemer for the family. He knows there's someone ahead of him, and he abides by those rules. He does the right thing going to the gate of the city, publicly gathering together the people that need to be there, including going to this near relative and saying, look, here's the situation. You're the next in line, and I wanted to let you know so you could take this opportunity. He pursues this other relative who has those first rights. Boaz is doing the right thing. He's been doing the right thing all along, right? He, he had uh, a field that was in the midst of the, the harvest, and he was letting everyone, the poor of the land, come and gather among it. You know, and he was doing the right thing. You know, when you hear someone say that, uh, other than maybe thinking of a Spike Lee movie in the 80s, uh, when you hear someone say, do the right thing, what do you probably think? As you hear a preacher say that, you're probably thinking something along the lines of keeping the letter of the law. You're probably thinking of obeying the rules. Maybe, maybe you even think of just doing that blindly, of finding out what the right thing is to do and then just doing it. If you could just get the right command and just follow it to the letter. I want you to know that doing the right thing the right way is more than that. It's more than just knowing the letter of the law. You need to know the letter of the law. You need to read the Bible. You need to know the commands of the Lord. But to do things the right way requires more than that. Nevertheless, but always more than just keeping the letter of the law. <clears throat> it's not a mindless obedience that the Lord is after. In fact, if you read through Boaz in this whole book, he's clever. And there's some weird things going on here that we don't understand culturally, some things that are strange to us. But Boaz is not only thoughtfully following those things, but he seems to be thoughtfully using them. That he comes before us here, not just following the letter of the law, but thoughtfully engaging with his responsibilities. He starts in verses 3 through 8, surprisingly to us, I would think, uh, it was surprising to me, that he says, Naomi has to sell some land. That has not been mentioned yet to this point, right? So what's going on there? Well, it, it seems to me like, the, the language here could allow a couple things. For one thing, when he says that she has, uh, is selling the land, it, it's actually a past tense. It's more of a perfect tense that she sold the land. And so I think it's possible that she has said, hey, Boaz, you can buy this land from me, but he's not entitled to that because someone else has a right. Um, it's not real clear. But I think that's... that's the gist of it that I take away from that. He's agreed to buy the land from Naomi. It's effectively a done deal, but this nearest relative, the, the Gael, the kinsman, some translations have kinsman redeemer, 
has a prior right to purchase the land. The, the, the letter of the law for God was that the people can sell their land if they're poor, but they have to get it back eventually. Every 50 years, they were supposed to have a year of jubilee where you would return things back to their rightful owners. And you would structure it if you bought something based on how much time you would have to use it. All kinds of things with that, right? But it, it seems in this situation that the Redeemer, the kinsman, uh, is the only other option besides Boaz. And he is a little bit closer in relationship to Naomi. He has the first right. So Boaz goes to him, thoughtfully saying, hey, you're the next in line. want to let you know. And for the other guy, he hears this the first time, and he probably knows about Naomi. He's probably thought about it. And he hears, oh, she's got this land she wants to sell. For him, he has a right to purchase it, a right to take it on and give Naomi some money. But he probably has an obligation to care for her as well in some measure, and perhaps for Ruth in some measure. But he does the math and says, you know what, if I get that land and I can add it to my land, then I'm going to make enough off of it that I can care for them. It's not going to be a problem. It's, it's almost a no-brainer from a profit and loss perspective for him to say it. So he says, we read, I will redeem it. And the word for redeem here in the book of Ruth, and it happens something like 10 times here in these few verses, it has to do with being the part of a kinsman, a family member, a tribe member, who is to redeem his kin from difficulty or danger. You think, of, think of it as a rescuer. Because the word redeemer, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, probably has all kinds of baggage or just becomes a meaningless word to you. Uh, but think of a rescuer. Here, this guy is a rescuer, and he's going to rescue the land uh, and perhaps Naomi from just falling to anyone, but to keep it in the family and in the tribe, which was important to the people and important to God. So he's just willing to be the rescuer to get this land. There is a word that is sometimes translated redeemer that has more of a sense of ransom. The emphasis is on the exchange and the price paid. This word is similar, but it's more on uh, the uh, more prominent is the idea of rescue rather than ransom. And so here, the relative is willing to rescue Naomi and take Elimelech's land, but then Boaz drops the additional little bit of knowledge here. Verse 5 Oh, on the day you buy it, from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth or obtain or, or get Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The, the sense there is that she ha he has to then fulfill the duty of a kinsman to raise up a seed. He has to take Ruth and marry her that she might have children. And that means is then the land is not actually going to be his. That the land that he will then provide for and pay for a little while and provide for them will go to someone else, will go to this new child and won't be a part of his inheritance. And so he says, I can't redeem it for myself. I, I would jeopardize my own inheritance, verse 6. Redeem it for yourself. Rescue it yourself. You can have my right of rescue. I cannot rescue it. I can't take it on. 
it, it will cost too much. I won't be able to maintain my own property and the livelihood of my own family if I take this on. It would be too much of a burden. I cannot do it. It's not that I'm not willing, essentially. He's saying it would, it would ruin me. And so they seal the deal with this interesting exchange of a shoe, uh, tangible proof that a deal has been made. You know, they didn't have a contract. They, they weren't signing things, you know. They weren't sending electronic documents and e-signing them, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, weren't writing things down. They would exchange a shoe, and he could say, look, I got, I got the guy's shoe. It's a, it's, it's a deal. Um, but now you, that deal is all closed. He's obtained the rights. He hasn't purchased it, but he's got the rights. And so just step back again for a second to think about doing things the right way. To understand the letter of the law and the process and all the legalities here was necessary for Boaz. But he goes beyond that. He does more than that. He is thoughtfully engaged in what the Lord requires in his situation, in his circumstances. And again, we saw this from the very first moment that Boaz shows up on the scene, that he knows the letter of the law, and he's, a, he's doing that. He's, he's providing for the poor of the land that they might have a place to reap so they might be fed. But he's doing more than that. He's not just satisfied with saying, I've obeyed the letter of the law. The poor people can eat from the corners. He is extending mercy. And he says, especially toward Ruth, to his servants, hey, take some out and make it easier for her. And don't, don't chastise her and, and berate her if she goes into the field beyond where she's supposed to. I'm not concerned about that. Let's provide for her. He's thoughtfully engaging. You know, one of, the, one of the great examples I've heard of this was a story of um, someone who had read this and they owned a, um, a sawmill somewhere in, in, in North America. And every, every so often they would just have so much of the, the sawdust piling up and, and they didn't know what to do with it and they thought there would be uses for it. And they said, you know what, as a Christian business owner said, what could I do with that? Well, I'm going to turn that over and I'm going to say, if anyone wants this sawdust, you can come and you can gather it and we'll shut down for a while and you can get all the sawdust. And they wound up finding a way to make some money off of it. And he charged them nothing. He just said, hey, it's a remnant. It's what's left over. Take it. Use it. That's a thoughtful engaging of the law, going beyond the mere duty. Ruth, same thing, right? Ruth could have said, I'm going to obey the letter of the law. My mother-in-law told me to go home and back to my own land. That's what her sister-in-law, Orpah, did, right? She went back home. No fault on her. She's obeying the letter of the law. And Ruth said, you know what? Though I, I'm thoughtfully engaging what would be most honoring to my mother-in-law. And I think it would be not to go away from her, but to stay with her to take this journey into a strange land, to be with her through all of that, to, to more thoughtfully engage beyond just obeying the letter of the law. You know, to do things the right way, brothers and sisters, is always going to engage more than just knowing the letter of law, even more than just doing the letter of the law. Jesus severely criticized the Pharisees because they did what was right. They settled for the right way and missed 
the point, seeking to obey the letter. Of course, they changed and condensed what it meant, but that's what happens, right? If you don't really thoughtfully consider what God wants from a command, or what God wants from his principles, then you're going to shrink it down, and you're going to miss some opportunities. Jesus said that the way that leads to life is narrow, and that the way is broad that leads to destruction, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. And one of the things that happens when we're not thoughtful, if you ever realize this, if you're not thoughtful in how you apply the law and deciding how to live it out, what you should do with it, you're always going to have some uncertainty. You're not going to be sure because you haven't engaged your mind and your heart in what you're about. And in fact, you're not only going to have some uncertainty and some anxiety, because deep down, you're not sure if you're doing the right thing because you're merely obeying a command and haven't thoughtfully processed it. And you're going to find it hard to stand on your own convictions because they're not going to be your convictions. They're going to be just a list of rules and principles. They don't strike your heart that you don't own because you haven't actually tried to really thoughtfully apply them. We must think carefully about how the law applies. Or we'll give in to the culture's views of right and wrong. We can even become proud in the midst of that. And so the Lord would say to us, to get the right results, you not only you have to do things the right way, but really what, what we need to know is that you have to do things for the right reasons. If you want to get the right results, you not only have to do things the right way, but you have to do them for the right reasons. And the first reason is to put the Lord first. Do you put the Lord first? Boaz has always been mindful throughout the book of Ruth as we've experienced him of the Lord and doing the right things, you know, fulfilling the duty as a rescuer, as a redeemer, providing for the poor on his land, keeping the land in the family, taking Ruth in to raise up an heir. And, and it, it's encouraging to see it all work out so that obeying the Lord leads to his own personal desires being satisfied. Do, how often do you experience that? Where you want something really bad, and then the Lord works it out so that you obtain it. You know, that, that's one of the secrets of following the Lord, is that other things being equal, that more and more ought to be our experience. But it's a double-edged sword because it doesn't mean that our desires are going to stay the same. The Lord says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, verse 4. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So it's not going to be that you're like, I want to have a million dollars. And oh, look, the Lord provided it. It might be, but that's the wrong order. The order is going to be, Lord, what do you want? Where I am right now, Lord, what do you want for me in this place? And, and Lord, this is what I want. Are those things lining up? And as you prayerfully seek the Lord and his righteousness, as you seek to do the right thing, the Lord is going to work in the midst of that and either change your desires or give the outcome you desire. 
those seem to be the only two outcomes. And it's a fallen world, so there's going to be pain and there's going to be hardship and struggle in the midst of that. Don't hear me saying that's an easy path. But that's the path to put the Lord first to do things right for the right reasons. Seeking first the Lord. Putting Him first. And interestingly enough, the right reason, second of all, is to put others second. So if we do the right things for the right reasons, which would be putting the Lord first and then putting others second, the Lord is even more likely to honor what it is you're attempting. The Lord will provide. When we put Him first and others second. I've got to say, having said that, I, I don't want you to hear... And in fact, I have, I have heard from several people some very sad situations of experiencing that as meaning you don't matter. That to put other, if you put the Lord first and others second, you, you don't matter. You become a, a doormat. You become someone without your own personal needs, without any concern for your own welfare and health. That's not what it means to put God first and others second. It is never what it means. What it means is to seriously evaluate what it would mean to please God in your current circumstances and what to seriously consider what you can do for others for good in the midst of your options. Your options, not my options, your options. Not somebody else's options and what they're capable of, but your options. What does it mean for you to please the Lord and serve other people based on who you are? What your circumstances are in life? Because God's at work. God knows where you are. And He is not going to call you to give what you cannot supply. And He's only going to call you to supply what He's going to give you. That's the way He works. To give beyond what you have is death. Because it's stealing. Because it's a path to burnout. Because it steals your life and vitality. That is never what it means to serve other people. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not physically exhausting sometimes, mentally draining, all those kind of things. But in the midst of your resources, what can you do to please God and serve other people? That's the question. Not what so-and-so doing, not what someone else is doing, right? Two, two great examples of this is we talked with Stephanie about becoming the children's discipleship coordinator, right? Her gifts and her situation in life match it. Praise the Lord. You know, that's not my role. It's not your role. That's Stephanie's role. You could go through those examples, right? That's, that's what it means. Put God first. Put others second. Is how, given who I am, given my resources, given my situation in life, can I serve the Lord and serve other people? We get really messed up when we go beyond our own resources and somehow think that putting others second after God is a call to serve them with resources we do not have. 
It's never a call to serve others with resources we don't have. You don't have fuel in the tank, you're not going to drive anywhere. If your batteries aren't charged, you're not going to make any phone calls. You don't have air to breathe, you're going to die. So the question is, you know, what, what level of batteries has God given you right now? You know, how much fuel is in the tank? And to seriously ask yourself, you know, am I wasting fuel? Am I wasting my resources in other places, in other ways that God would have me direct in another way? And to cut those things out so then you're available for this other thing. Or to say, you know what, I think I'm, I'm making pretty good decisions in the rest of my life. I feel like God, I'm where God wants me to be. What does he have for me? What would please him? How can I serve others? You know, if you're like eight or nine months pregnant, that's not the time to be doing much else other than sleeping as much as you can and preparing for a baby to come along, right? And if you've got a little baby at home and they're just born, right, that you don't feel bad about other people serving you, about being provided for in some ways, and then down the road, getting back into things as the Lord provides, right? Those are very easy examples. Given your resources, what's the Lord calling you to do? It's not permission to get selfish. It's a call to evaluate and to understand you have limits and you have abilities. You have gifts and a context to use them in. And how do those work together? And the solution, the key to it is, right, to say, I'm going to do the right thing under the thing of doing it for the right reasons. The Lord first, not my ego and not what I want to do, but what the Lord wants. And serving other people. This has to matter for other people. It has to do something good. If you think about the story of Ruth and Boaz, you know, here's Ruth. She's a widow from a foreign country who does a small thing in the grand scheme of things, right? Something the world would not even pay attention to. She just goes with her mother-in-law to a foreign land. She just is present through the mother-in-law dissing her and saying, yeah, I went away full, I came back empty. Remember? Ruth's like, I'm there. What? And she didn't give up. She didn't run away. She stayed. She's within her resource. She said, what can I do? And so she goes, faithfully listens to Naomi, goes to the field to just work and gain some food for the family. And the Lord provides much more than that. Just one woman, one poor woman, one widow woman from a foreign land. And she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. The great, 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 great mother of Jesus. Boaz, similar circumstance, right? Just one guy from Israel doing the right thing, putting the Lord first, serving other people. He gets a wife. He gets a son. He's a great-grandfather to the king. Great, 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 great grandfather to Jesus. You know, this is this is the way God works. That if if we will do things the right way for the right reasons, those two things will feed off of each other. We'll get better at understanding the reasons of our own hearts, which will lead us to do the right things. 
If we step out doing the right things, we begin to understand our own hearts and we're more fueled for those right reasons. And you see this beautiful thing happening. And who knows what God will do through you? You know, God brings Jesus into the world through these people, humanly speaking. At that time, just doing things within their own capacity, stretching a little bit. And the Lord works through it to bring Jesus, who what? Does what is right. (laughs) Jesus always did what was right. He only ever did what was right. And he got in trouble because his understanding of what was right was more deep and more thoughtful and more profound than the surface commandments. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. Because you guys don't understand what it means to murder. You guys don't understand what it means to commit adultery. It's much more deep and profound. And Jesus kept that. He explained it. He taught it. And people didn't understand because they were satisfied with the surface. More than that, Jesus always did it for the right reason. He was always living for the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, he said. And because he was not only a man, but fully God, he had unlimited resources. And in doing those things for you, for me, for his people, he could meet every need you have, including your need for forgiveness, including your need for the power of sin to be broken, including your need for the power of Satan to be conquered for death itself to be swallowed up in victory this is jesus this is the way he works in this world for you and he's the one who said i am the way the truth and life if we will come to him if we will live through him we'll find we'll do more and more of the right thing you'll find that you're more and more understanding the reasons And your desires are more and more aligning with the Lord. Because it's not luck when things work out. It's the Lord. It's the only way to come closer to getting those results. The only hope we have in the end for the happier ending is that we would make Jesus the way. And that we would realize that he has all that we need. And there's nothing we can do on our own, including doing the right way or even understanding our right reasons, that is not in him. And when we go to him, He will lead. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to stay focused on the right things, to learn the letter of the law, to understand your word, but, Lord, more than that, to thoughtfully seek to apply it. When we're in positions of, of leadership and power, to understand how to serve people and please you. When we're following and serving, Lord, to understand that it's for you and help us understand what doing things the right way means. Lord, search our hearts that if there are reasons we're doing things that are about us, about our status, our ego, our hope for gain personally, about our desire for affirmation and acknowledgement, Lord, if they are in any way beyond something healthy. They become something that interferes in our relationship with you. Make them known to us, Lord. Open our our eyes. Lord, bring us together as a community to do things, committed to doing things the right way for the right reasons. 
that we might more and more see you granting what we desire because we more and more desire what you want. We pray, O oh Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.